0: You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Well, good morning. Thank you for the welcome to worship with you this morning. It's a joy and a privilege. We've uh, we've made our way all the way uh, this morning from Upper Mission, and the, f- the fact that we managed to get a num- multiple children and teenagers out the door this morning in time for church in a couple different places uh, is worthy of some level of something or other. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of you know what this is like, right? Uh, you know, my name's Phil Wagler. Uh, we live here in Kelowna. Uh, Our home church is Kelowna Gospel Fellowship and uh, bring greetings to you from that wonderful community as well. It's good to be with you. Uh, I serve with the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada and as the Global Director for the Peace and Reconciliation Network, which is part of the World Evangelical Alliance, which just a real quick orientation for you is the Global Fellowship of Evangelical Christians and the CMA is a part of... The Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, as a, as a family and denomination here in our country, and the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada is one of 143 national alliances globally of evangelical Christians, which make up somewhere around 600 million Christians. And so that's your big family. And so I bring uh, just a little bit of hello <laughs> to you from them. Uh, let's just still our hearts and, and pray this morning. Uh, Father in heaven, we worship you. You who created the beauty we see around us and the people that we've passed on our way here or came with. You who uh, love this world so much that you sent your son. And we pray that you would orient our hearts and our minds more deeply in what it means to be your children today. And to open our hearts and our minds to you and what you might be calling us to where we come with Restlessness in ourselves. We just right now. We just lay that down in front of you Pray that you would speak to us through your word in Jesus name. Amen Well, hopefully in this summer you've had an opportunity to experience a picnic or two If not, they might be coming yet. Do you enjoy picnics? Ah, oh, there's a. All right, moving right along. Uh, perhaps then your experience is more like Mr. Bean. Anyone love Mr. Bean? Yeah. Okay. Well, the Mr. Bean has more fans in the house than picnics. But Mr. Bean goes on a picnic. If you've seen this sketch of Mr. Bean at a picnic, it's it's quite funny. Our aw- awkward Englishman is in a quaint green park sharing a picnic with himself. And he tries to read and enjoy a snack, but he's battling a bee that just won't quit. And finally, having thought he had smushed the bee in his book, he opens his mouth satisfyingly for a snack, and finally to enjoy his bite of cupcake, only to be assaulted by a swarm of bees who are on a revenge, a vengeful trip, and he's forced to run for cover. A picnic in the presence of his enemies. Now, picnics are great until the enemy shows up. Ants, wasps, critters, flies, and other uninvited guests. I invite you again to close your eyes. Just still yourself. Just for a few seconds. And imagine... A picnic in the park. Do you see it? Blanket is spread. It's good food, sunshine. Do you see it? And now imagine someone is approaching, and they're before you now. And you look up, and you notice it's your enemy. Who is it? Who is your enemy? Who comes to mind? Don't be so quick to shrug it off. You're all being really nice Canadians right now, okay? Don't shrug it off. Pay attention. Look at their face. Say their name. What do you feel? What do you want to happen next? Come on back. One summer day a few years ago, our family participated in a picnic in the park for Syrian refugee families. Well, most were from Syria, some were from Iraq, and they came with unimaginable tales of escape from the evil that we could only imagine as a family, and spread out on the grass like a checkerboard where colorful blankets, where families sat to visit and eat, and the halal food was sizzling on the grills, and we sat with a Christian Iraqi family who unpacked their tragic story of leaving everything as ISIS approached And the sorrow of losing their beautiful home and their jobs and their friendships and the land of their ancestors for this new unborn, un, uh, unknown place uh, and a one-bedroom apartment I mean, kind of left us as a family in silence, just like, it's kind of like holy ground. And the tales of violence perpetrated by evil extremists shook us and... As the father and mother and the two little girls matter-of-factly, like, just matter-of-factly told horrendous stories, I, I looked around at the other blankets around us just a few feet away, and, and there, just over here, was a Muslim family, and the woman was wearing a full burqa. Her frenetic children <laughs> rushing about, and she's trying to, trying to feed them and keep them focused. No easy task. And in that beautiful BC park, our new Iraqi family picnicked in the presence of their enemies. Now, I worked up a little bit of courage with this new friend and I said, hey, how do you sit here when you are surrounded by those who represent, it wasn't them, but they represent your great trauma AND THIS IRAQI HUSBAND, THIS BROTHER IN CHRIST, HE, like he almost most, WAS ALMOST STARTLED BY MY SHALLOWNESS. AND HE SAID, WELL, I MUST FORGIVE. JESUS FORGIVES AND COMMANDS US TO FORGIVE. I CAN'T BE A CHRISTIAN AND NOT FORGIVE. You know this passage of Scripture, I'm sure. Psalm 23, verse 5, it'll come up on the screen there. Let's read it together. Are you ready? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, Psalm 23 is beautiful poetry about life's challenges and the Lord's presence through it all. Now, Western eyes, we can have an interesting way of visualizing this psalm as though it was written by a guy named David O'Callaghan shepherding his sheep through the Irish hills, something like this picture here. But in fact, the writer was David Bar-Jesse, a young Jew and would-be king of Israel, living a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, who knew what it was like to patrol the hills of Judah, where green pastures and still waters were scarce, probably more like this picture, actually. Now David, writing words that have comforted many over the centuries, sees himself as a sheep shepherded by the king of the universe, Yahweh. Through life's great vulnerabilities, the wearinesses, and the thirsts, are you tired? What are you thirsty for? Through the tricky paths and discernments, what big decisions are burdening you these days? Through the dark valleys that we enter but can't seem to get out of, Where fear overtakes us, are you full of fear in this beautiful summer? The psalm is comforting, but it is not sentimental. It addresses life as it really is, and life is no picnic or walk in the park, is it? The sunshine, the the lake just over there, The convertibles can simply shroud the realities of fear, shame, and guilt that we carry or that we live among as we order from the server who can't make ends meet or walk the beach among children who might be abused or golf the course with an addict or stand at the checkout alongside someone who just lost their spouse, or visit the food bank with a refugee. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle, wrote Philo of Alexandria hundreds of years ago. Are you fighting a great battle? Is your enemy... In this very real barren land, the Lord provides sheep all that we need. He gives rest and helps find a patch of pasture to munch and lay down in. He knows where the pools of water are that will refresh. He knows the way through the minefields and fearful yet purposeful valleys. Valleys tend to be purposeful, don't they? And David, a shepherd boy, knew sheep and about being a sheep. Psalm 23 is in many ways a spiritual autobiography about a shepherd by a shepherd. It is a vulnerable song of David's young soul before he ever sat on a throne. In some ways, it's a little bit like reading a teenager's journal that you've managed to find and have cracked. As Atar Hadari writes from a Middle Eastern perspective, when he talks, this is a quote, when he talks, David, about being pursued and about enemies, you know they are powerful ones. This is not a metaphorical poem about enemies inside one's head. It's real. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel arrived. At David's acreage and asked to meet Jesse's sons because one of them was to be anointed the king of Israel in place of Saul who had lost his right to rule but David in the story of first Samuel 16 is nowhere to be found why you know the answer why where was he he was with the sheep David was the youngest, and in an ancient oriental culture, that made him least likely to be anointed anything, except perhaps the dirty job of being with the sheep while everyone else got to hang out at home with the important guest. For David to call Yahweh... The great I am, and when you see those words in your Bible that say the Lord and it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the English rendering of Yahweh, I am, how God revealed himself to Moses. And for David to refer to Yahweh as shepherd (laughs) is almost sacrilege. Now, the Bible is full of glorious names for God, the Almighty, the King of Kings, the Lord of Hosts, but Shepherd? Shepherd is not an honorific title, especially in Eastern cultures. Now, when I was, I was in Africa a few months ago, and our African Peace and Reconciliation Network team led a symposium, and there were professors and PhDs and CEOs and reverends. And uh, in the African context, titles really matter. They're really important. And so there was Reverend Dr. So-and-so and Dr. Professor So-and-so and if you're on LinkedIn, any of you on LinkedIn, you get to see this all the time how people describe themselves on LinkedIn. It's like this title, that title, my passion, this thing that I've. Read today. Look at me, right? People describing themselves with lofty titles. And in Africa, I, I was humbled to sign certificates of amazing people I learned so much from who had earned worthy titles, yet nobody was called shepherd so-and-so. You know, that we call a leader in the Christian congregation pastor, which is simply the rendering of shepherd, especially in a modern city, is peculiar but revealing because theirs is the often despised responsibility of humble service and guardianship. You know, it is no small miracle when someone obeys the powerful nudge of the Spirit to shepherd the flock of God. Are any of you sensing that nudge? Don't despise it. Isn't it questionable strategy for angels to announce the good news of the birth of Jesus to lowly shepherds who are nowhere near centers of power, marginalized, and are probably quite fine with that. That God mobilizes in the story of Jesus' birth, that stinky group of guys, tells a lot about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And here David, in Psalm 23, the ruddy shepherd boy still escaping puberty whose own family didn't include him in a feast with the honored prophet calls the Lord my shepherd. The shepherd boy identifying the shepherd whose presence is unmerited gift and promise I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And those are the words that mark the center of the poem and come just before the transition to those words you just read. And just in case you've dozed off, let's read them again. Are you ready? You prepare a table before me, In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now, if you look carefully at the psalm and if you have it open in front of you, you'll see that actually the psalm in this moment shifts rather dramatically from sheep wandering with a trusted shepherd to a political shepherd. Young David was eventually called from the fields back in 1 Samuel 16, and Samuel anointed him as king-in-waiting. Wow. The oil dumped and lathered over his head before his surprised family was a greasy sign of being set apart, that he was covered by God for a purpose. And that anointing, just imagine, that anointing does not come off easily, does it? It gets into everything. Now, that sounds glamorous. But, but going from the fields to the palace would be no picnic. He is now in the presence of his enemies. And the metaphor completely shifts as well because sheep don't eat at tables. Tables. Nor are they anointed with oil. David reveals his wandering, shaky soul. This is the very real experience that he is having as God's anointed in the presence of King Saul, who wanted him dead. God's politics are very different sometimes. David had been anointed the next king of Israel, think about it, while there was still another king on the throne. This is a ripe political mess, a God-sized scandal. Because human kingship, how does that work? Human kingship passes through family line, correct? That's how human kingship works. David is not of Saul's clan. He is a shepherd boy and a rival. Now, is David going to lead an insurrection? A coup, like happened this week in Niger? Has God given David the right to grab the throne? After all, he's anointed. Hmm? Because kings don't give up power easily, do they? In 1 Samuel 17, David, in his first post anointing act, what does he do? He kills someone. Who is it? Goliath. Big giant. We tell these stories to kids all the time, right? David and Goliath. Political mess, Batman. And Saul, of course, honors him in that moment, but David can't even fit the armor of a king yet. His anointing is almost humorous, and it's no threat. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, David's popularity begins to grow. He's all the rage on TikTok, and the maidens swoon, and Saul grows jealous and afraid. And it says this in, Psalm, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, David still has no positional power simply a head greased with oil and a table set in the presence of an enemy. David is a regular guest at the king's table set by Saul, but which David interprets differently through eyes of faith. Now Saul may do the ordering, but Yahweh set the table. And by 1 Samuel chapter 19, Saul is deliberately trying to kill his young political threat. He tries to spear David to the wall. He forces him eventually into exile. Saul hunts down David like prey. And on more than one occasion, David has the opportunity to kill Saul and step into his anointed promise. But he doesn't. David, instead, trusts the shepherd's promise, his presence, his timing, and his ways. And here's where Psalm 23, verse 5 punches us in the nose, or should. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, who's making the preparation? Who's making the preparation? The Lord, Yahweh, is preparing this. Note that the language has moved from He. The first part of Psalm 23 is The Lord is my shepherd. I've got everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The first part of the psalm is all He. In this moment, it shifts to you. It's more intimate, it's more personal, it's more relational. David is now in conversation, aware of presence, not simply doing theology. He is living in a relationship. His theology is being put to the test. It is you, O Yahweh, who have me in this uncomfortable place. And what has Yahweh prepared? A table. Well, that's at least what our English translations say. All of our English renderings are... Table. But the Hebrew word is shulchan, a mat whoosh, spread out on the ground, not a table as we might visualize, not a checkered picnic blanket. It is, in fact, actually the word for a skin of le- or leather, something dyed for this. God is the initiator, the provider, and the inviter to an unlikely place prepared by the most unlikely for the most undeserving. The Lord, in this moment, is inviting us to himself. Isn't this what communion is? We're going to celebrate this in a little bit. God preparing the table of salvation giving Himself unreservedly and mercifully for sinners in Christ. God revealing our poverty and our insufficiency and at the same time, our immense worth and delight that we have in His eyes. The New Testament will actually speak of communion as being the place where we come again and again to the presence and the table of the Lord. And in this, we also come to each other this is not an individual table it's a communal table god invites many enemies to his table now where is the where is the shulkan this political picnic spread in the presence of my enemies. The image is almost hilarious, if you just kind of pause and think about this for a second, because the shepherd king interrupts clamor and chaos to spread a bank blanket and prepare food. You know, from World War I, there's this uh, account of British and German soldiers observing a Christmas Day truce in 1914. You know this story? It's fascinating. Uh, the shooting ceased. And the Christmas carols echoed across no man's land, and a soccer game even broke out between young men who discovered the humanity in one another because of the news announced to shepherds. But the next day, the fighting continued in a war that would claim around 20 million lives. This Psalm 23 imagery, it it confronts us. The picnic is prepared in the presence of enemies. But the Hebrew words don't indicate that the food and the wine are spread over here while my enemy watches over there, kind of like an intermission in the battle, right? It's actually not the way the text reads at all. The Hebrew means... BEFORE MY FACE, OR OPPOSITE TO, IT MEANS IN FRONT OF. THE SHULKAN IS SPREAD BETWEEN ME AND MY ENEMY. YAHWEH INSERTS HIMSELF BETWEEN US, NOT TO SPITE THE ENEMY, but to shepherd me to the awareness of the presence and way of the Lord in the horrid chaos that is life for David in Saul's court. David is brought to an invitation to surrender, to truly live his anointing in God's way and God's timing. The shulkan of Yahweh Is between me and my enemy. Who is your enemy? Who did you see coming towards you? Will you follow the Lord as he shepherds you to that picnic? What if the Lord invites your enemy as well? What if the Lord asks us, as he does, through Jesus Christ who self-identified as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, Jesus said, love your, say it, enemies. Do good to them, expecting nothing in return. Act, he says, like a child of the Most High God who is kind to the ungrateful, and you can look it up, Luke chapter 6, and to the evil. Will I take up this cross? Will I accept the cost? Will my enemy see me on the blanket? <laughs> Like, will I sit? Will the, my enemy see me on the blanket, wielding the utensils of fellowship and gratitude on fair I did not prepare or deserve? Or will I charge, trampling over the fair, picking up a weapon out of offense and victimhood and self righteous rage? Will I live my anointing as a prince or a princess of the king of kings? Or will I refuse to come to the picnic? Will I be, as my Iraqi friends challenge me, a Christian? Am I willing to take the risk of faith and discover on the Khan the one who stood between and gave himself for us both." Now, we must live this song. We must grasp the depths of the grace of God that saves us in Jesus Christ. His disruptive feast of grace is for me and for my enemy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says that he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. On the cross, Jesus, the shepherd in our flesh, created a new humanity, put to death our hostility, and reconciled us to himself and to one another to live our anointing as daughters and sons of the Most High God, is to live as those who dwell constantly with Yahweh, residents of the palace, even on fearful battlefields. When we receive this as bleating saints, holy royalty, the world we are sent to smells the transformation it longs to savor. When Serbs invaded parts of Croatia in 1991, they terrorized by raping Croatian women. When Croatian troops retook some of those areas years later, Catholic Croatian women went ahead of the troops, moved into the village homes of Serbian women so they could stop revenge rapes. A table of the Lord spread. I recently spoke with Archangelo Wani Lemmy, a bishop in South Sudan. We'll have a podcast coming out with him, actually, just a couple weeks. And his poor country and Sudan to the north is ravaged by civil war, as you may be aware of, and displacement of peoples. That's a picture, actually, from the UN's current report. Over 800,000 have fled Sudan since April. That's more than the population of New Brunswick. Archangelo told of a poor widow living near an airport who keeps a pot of food and a jug of water constantly at hand. And when a plane arrives, bringing refugees from Sudan, she takes her pot and jug and hustles out to feed the sheep. He shared how the best news that he has heard was from Muslims amazed at the people who come to visit them when they cross the border because they're Christians. It's not the government, the UN, it's not other Muslims who show up to care, but the anointed of the Lord coming to the table prepared. In the summer of 2022, A Ukrainian mom left her home and her high-ranking military officer husband and arrived in Winnipeg. Yeah, over there. With her nine-year-old son, and she was pregnant with a second child. She was welcomed into the home of a Christian Russian woman who had also had a son. And despite people they love being in direct conflict The two mothers have established a loving and secure home together. Every day they come to the table prepared. The Russian woman even became the birth coach when the Ukrainian woman's baby was born. Together they face the challenges of sheep in an uncertain world. WHEN HEALING HEARTS TRANSFORMING NATIONS, THE RECONCILIATION MINISTRY BIRTHED OUT OF THE HORROR OF THE Rwandan GENOCIDE IN THE 1990s, WHEN THEY BRING PEOPLE TOGETHER IN PLACES LIKE ETHIOPIA OR CONGO AND ACTUALLY EVEN IN THIS PAST WEEK HERE IN CANADA, THEIR POWERFUL MINISTRY OF RECONCILIATION CULMINATES WITH SOMETHING THEY CALL THE KING'S FEAST. TAKE A LOOK AT THIS PICTURE. Those once enemies come to the table, to the cross, recognizing what the Lord has provided by his grace and mercy, and they repent, and they lay down weapons, and they put on paper crowns that you can buy at the dollar store. And they practice their royal anointing like children, like shepherd boys and girls that the world ignores, but who just might help change it. It all looks a little silly, doesn't it? And a lot like heaven. This is the peculiar and beautiful reign of Yahweh, the shepherd, who invites us to trust him, dwell with him, and embrace his ways, who is with us to the end of the age and commissions sheep, anointed royalty to overflow his goodness in a world still full of enemies. Would you close your eyes again with me? Would you picture that picnic again? And instead of looking at your enemy, turn your head and look at the one who prepared the spread. The one who, uh, through another prophet, will reveal his name as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Spirit of the living God, Uh, we've wrestled... On this blanket today with some hard stuff. Thank you that you desire life to the full for us, and Jesus, you came to give it. By the power of your Spirit, move us to action. Save us, O Lord, from theologies and great words that go in cards and stay in our heads, but does not move to the way we live with others. Please forgive us. Help us. And we humble ourselves before you, who paid the greatest price of all, inserted yourself between us, and made we who were your enemies, friends and children, of the Most High God. We worship you. We worship you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said,